0: chapter 26 of citadel of fear by gertrude barrows bennett this librivox recording is in the public domain citadel of fear chapter 26 to undine far toward the heart of the city a car sped silently over the asphalt with a greatly perturbed young man at the wheel the car was cleonas and this late expedition was cleonas and cleona herself was in it by the time she and Sven Björnsen had finished, comparing notes and jumping at the maddest conclusions Rhodes had ever heard spoken in sober earnest, that young man was in a semi-dazed condition. He scarcely retained spirit to protest when Cleona commanded him to run out her car, to place in it his shotgun and what other firearms were in the house, and prepare instantly for a sortie in force against the house of a man he had never heard of twenty-four hours earlier his suggestion of police was met with a scorn to take his breath away. But here, having learned that a man high in the city detective force was already working on the case, Bjornsen seconded Rowe's demand that the law be called into alliance. "'No need to explain fully,' he asserted. "'Keep the story within their comprehension. The bungalow affair is a lever to move them which I should have lacked, working alone.' begin by telephoning this McClellan that O'Hara had reason to suspect the owner of the Undine place of keeping dangerous wild beasts in an insecure manner, and went there this afternoon or evening alone. Tell him that O'Hara was not returned here, though he agreed to do so, and that a man—myself, of course—has brought you information about Kennedy, alias Reed, which proves him a very dangerous criminal. Tell him that you and I will run downtown and join him, that I will then make known to him facts that justify Kennedy's instant arrest, and that for good reasons he had best have a detail of several men ready to go out there with us. I believe the charge that Kennedy kidnapped my daughter is serious enough. We shan't need to venture on the more, er, improbable part. What we shall certainly find in his house will speak for itself, I think." there might be delay in swearing out a warrant on the kidnapping charge, so in phoning be sure and emphasize the fact we believe O'Hara's life to be in serious peril." Somewhat reluctantly Rhodes undertook the task set for him. His disbelief in Bjornton's story as a whole was not voluntary. He couldn't believe it. But on the other hand, that story in combination with Cullen's strange experience with the giant ape, had brought him to a kind of incredulous uneasiness of mind about it all, and to have the place investigated by lawful authorities would cut the knot of doubt in a very satisfactory manner. He called the detective bureau at City Hall, and by luck caught McClellan just as the latter was about to lay off and go home early. The life of a city detective being both strenuous and irregular, he accomplished this feat about one day in thirty, and, being human as well as stolid, he sometimes got very tired. He was tired to-night. Rhodes of course could not know this. Neither could he know that, in the light of their last parting, sympathetic concern for Cullen O'Hara's life or limb had no share in McClellan's feeling for him. But Rhodes did know that the ensuing conversation was so highly unsatisfactory that he suddenly hung up the receiver very forcibly and turned a flushed, indignant face to the other two. He says that Cullen told him to drop the bungalow case, and when he reported, his chief took him off the assignment. He says that if you will come down and make your complaint in person, Mr. Bjornson, the matter of Reed will be investigated, but they cannot make a night raid on a respectable householder unless the person demanding it presents convincing proof and good credentials of his own. He seems to ignore the fact that I myself am a respectable householder. He said... He was extremely insolent," snapped the young lawyer, breaking off into sheer indignation. "'He deserved to be reported to his chief. I think I'll do that little thing, too.' He reached again for the receiver, but Cleona caught his hand and fairly dragged him away from the telephone. "'Tony, my Cullen has gone to Undine and you waste time arguing with the police? I know he's gone there didn't mr bjornson see him in carpentier and see him put the car to the undine road at a speed to frighten one i've known it all evening he's gone there in search of her and for what he said tis sure as the world that she's travelled the same way in search of him and it's there we'll find both of them so be they've not been murdered before this and so almost before he knew it rhodes found himself his wife and a stranger in the car bound, apparently, on the armed invasion of another utter stranger's residence. "'Hurry!' came her voice in his ear. "'We're making enough speed to cost me a fortune in fines, if every policeman we've passed has taken our number—' "'What's that in life or death? Mr. Bjornson? have you a plan for us when we reach there?' "'No,' he said simply, "'if what I know might be is true, then our going alone in this manner is mere suicide.' And yet, that detective's attitude was rather indicative, we've no hours to waste. How could we convince the police in time, or where else could we raise a force of men to night? Chapter twenty six.